In Acts chapters 21 and 22, Paul's preaching caused such a riot in Jerusalem that Roman soldiers apprehended him and were about to interrogate and whip him. But when they stretched him out with straps, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman and not condemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and said, What are you about to do, for this man is a Roman? The commander came and said to Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, I acquired citizenship for a large sum of money. And Paul said, But I was actually born a citizen. Tarsus, where Paul was born, was a free city in the Roman Empire, thus making him a Roman citizen. But he was also a Jewish citizen. Even under Roman occupation, Israel was itself a nation ruled by Herod the Tetrarch, or King Herod. In Philippians 3, Paul says, I myself could boast as having confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he is confident in the flesh, I have more reason. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. So Paul had dual citizenship. But that's not all. He continues, These things I have counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them mere rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Why did he count Roman citizenship and Jewish citizenship as loss? He keeps going. In verse 20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's priority was his citizenship in heaven. Nero was not his king. Herod was not his king. Jesus was his king. And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Daniel 7 says, His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the empires will serve and obey him. And Revelation 11 says, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So, first and foremost, I am a citizen of God's kingdom. But at the same time, I live in the United States of America. I'm proud to be a citizen of this country. But sometimes it's hard to reconcile dual citizenship. I have often said that, your understanding of the Bible should determine the way you live. The way you live should not determine your understanding of the Bible. If your lifestyle doesn't line up with Scripture, you have one of two choices. Change your lifestyle or change your view of the Scripture. The same thing applies to faith and politics. I am a Christian first, an American second. Your faith must determine your politics. Your politics must not control your faith. I believe in voting. 
I have voted in every election since I was 18. I believe you should vote. But you should vote your conscience, and you should vote educated about the candidates and what they stand for. I know Christians who are Republicans that criticize Democrats in office for anything questionable that they can find. But they will turn a blind eye and defend Republican politicians who are guilty of equal offenses. I know Christians who are Democrats who do the same thing along their party lines. So let's see if we can sort these things out. Jesus selected 12 apostles, including Simon the Zealot and Matthew. They were polar opposites when it came to politics. Zealots were political revolutionaries trying to violently overthrow Rome. They were like guerrillas or minutemen. Matthew was a Jew collecting taxes for Rome. You couldn't find two followers of Christ who were more diametrically opposed, politically speaking. Speaking of taxes, the Pharisees questioned Jesus. Tell us, what do you think? Is it permissible to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. In another story about tax, when it came to Capernaum, those who collected the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of earth collect customs and poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? And when Peter said, From strangers, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook, and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a coin. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Jesus was not blind to the abuse of power or corruption in political places. He said to them, You know that those who rule over countries make their people obey them, and those in high position exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Rather, whoever wants to be prominent among you shall be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He's saying, You are subject to a different authority. You are part of a different economy. So how are we to view human government? Well, 1 Timothy 2 says, First of all, I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all people, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And Romans 13 says, Every person is subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, 
and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Peter says in his first letter, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you silence the ignorance of foolish people. Act as free people, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Those are pretty deep words from the apostles. So who was this king that the first Christians were told to submit to and pray for? The emperor of Rome during the book of Acts was Nero. Maybe you've heard that expression, while Nero fiddled, Rome burned. In 64 AD, a great fire ravaged Rome for six days, destroying 70% of the city and leaving half its population homeless. Nero accused Christians of starting the fires to remove suspicion from himself. Many Christians were arrested and brutally executed by being thrown to the beasts in the arenas. Some were crucified. Some were burned alive. They were taught to pray for this man. Since I became a Christian, I have been obligated to pray for Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George Herbert Walker Bush, Bill Clinton, George Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden. I voted for some of them, and some of them I did not. I agreed with some of them on certain issues, some I could find little at all to agree with. None of them were perfect, and most of them have disappointed me somewhere along the line. But I have prayed for each one, because the scripture commands me to. I admit that for some, I have had to pray that they would become true believers in Christ, though all of them profess some kind of faith. I'm not sure it's the same faith I adhere to. I have prayed that they would hear from God and submit to him, and I have prayed that he would deal with them if they were not submitted to him. I have prayed for godly leadership in this land, remembering that I am a citizen of a greater eternal kingdom, and I have determined I will obey the laws of the land. But what if the laws of man are in conflict with the laws of God? First of all, we can vote, write to our representatives, and speak out against injustice. We can boycott corporations who have anti-Christian policies and refuse to support those who are in conflict with God's principles. But if man's laws remain in conflict with God's laws, we must make a choice, and it can be a costly choice. In Acts, the disciples were commanded not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, if it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, make your own judgment. We must obey God rather than men. 
The disciples had a direct command from Jesus himself to preach the gospel, and they were prepared to suffer consequences for their obedience to Jesus and their disobedience to civil authorities. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not in need of an answer to give you concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods, nor worship the golden statue which you have set up. The three young Hebrews would not worship the statue because it was in direct conflict with the law of God, and they were willing to die for their beliefs. Notice that these believers from both the Old and New Testament were disobeying civil law when it was in conflict with God's law. They did so without seeking revenge or resulting to violence. Some issues are difficult to sort out as far as our response. Abortion is perhaps the number one controversy of our day. I believe abortion is wrong. I vote for pro-life candidates, and I thank God for the recent Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. I would counsel any young woman against having an abortion, but I don't condone bombing abortion clinics. I also think that we could do a better job of bringing healing rather than condemnation to those who have had abortions. But the truth is, abortion is a symptom of a culture that is addicted to sex. If we don't teach our daughters that their worth is not based on their sexuality, that they don't need to imitate the pop stars who flaunt their sexuality, if we don't teach our sons that women are not sex objects to be used, if we don't give a reason for sexual morality, abortion will not go away. And what about a doctor who refuses to perform abortions? Or a business owner who refuses to pay for insurance that guarantees abortion? Or a school nurse who won't give out contraception to minors without their parents' knowledge? What about a science teacher who doesn't believe in evolution? What about a cake decorator who is sued because their beliefs prohibit them from making a cake for a same-sex wedding? Some Christian actors have a hard time getting work if they don't tow politically correct lines because of their religious convictions. It can cost some believers their jobs or businesses to stay true to their convictions. Following Jesus can cost a lot in this world. But remember, we are in this world, not of it. We are first and foremost citizens of heaven. How many times have you heard the claim that America's founding fathers were not Christians? Did you know that over half of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were educated in the equivalent of what today would be seminaries or Bible schools? Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson are recognized as the two least religious of the founders, and yet Franklin drafted a statewide prayer proclamation for his own state, Pennsylvania, and recommended Christianity in the state's public schools. 
and called for the establishment of chaplains and daily prayer at the Constitutional Convention. Jefferson recommended that the national motto include the word God. As president, he closed documents with, In the Year of Our Lord Christ. I have visited the Jefferson Memorial several times, and I found these quotes etched in the walls. Almighty God hath created the mind free. All attempts to influence it by temporal punishments or burdens are a departure from the plan of the holy author of our religion. God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are a gift from God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Those are the words of Thomas Jefferson. People toss around the phrase, separation of church and state. Those words do not appear anywhere in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, or the Declaration of Independence. What is stated clearly in the First Amendment is this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Prohibiting the free exercise thereof. We have fallen a long way, baby. God laments to Ezekiel, I searched for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand in the gap before me for the land, so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. I believe God is searching for those to stand in the gap and intercede for America. Isaiah 62 reads, On your walls, Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. You profess the Lord. Take no rest for yourselves. As American citizens, we must take action. We need to be active. We need to campaign. We need to vote. We need to use the tools at our disposal. And as citizens of God's kingdom, we must take up the weapons of spiritual warfare and pray like we have never prayed. We must take a stand. We must take no rest for ourselves. We must pray and faint not. We must pray without ceasing. We must fast and pray. We must pray like our lives depend on it. We must pray like our children's future depends on it. We must pray like America's future depends on it. And we must never forget that we are citizens of heaven. This is Jim Barrier on World News Brief.